0: Hey everyone, welcome to church. My name's Lance and I serve on the CAFE team. We are so glad that you decided to join us today. When you walked into service today, you were given a bulletin. In that bulletin is a connection card. We would like you to fill out that connection card with as much information as you feel comfortable giving. At the bottom of that card is our pray for one section. That's where you can put the name of an individual who you know needs more of God's love in their life. As well is our prayer that every day, God send us one person, to share his love. With if you're new to Life Church or would like to learn more about who we are as a church, you can join Grow. Grow is held in our conference room the first two Sundays of every month at 1030. You can sign up for our upcoming sessions starting next week on the back of our connection card. If you have more questions about Grow please visit our Welcome center located in the lobby where someone will be happy to answer your questions As we come to the end of 2017, we want to thank every one of you for being here on the journey with Life Church. God has done amazing things through you. Lives have been transformed, and we have seen an amazing impact on our community. 2017 was an amazing year, and thanks to you, 2018 will be even better. Again, thank you. God has amazing things planned for next year. That's it for Life Church News. Happy New Year, and enjoy the rest of your service.
1: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to our Amazing Grace series. Uh, is anybody thankful for Amazing Grace? Amazing Grace, yes. We are saved by His Amazing Grace. Hopefully, through this series, you'll come to understand just a little bit more of exactly what that uh, grace is. This series actually is going to be going through the book of Galatians, um, just chapter by chapter. Uh, this first one, I'm just going to a, a little bit of a preview of just grace overall and then jump into the chapters of Galatians. I would encourage you to study that book with us. In the, if you've got that Bible app, they've actually, I think, changed the name from Version now. It's just called the Bible app. But if you have that on your phone, if you don't, just get in your, in your Play Store and download the Bible app and then search that plan. It's, it's actually the title of it is Love God Greatly um, and Galatians. And hopefully, just January 1, which is tomorrow, just start that. If you could start that tomorrow, we'll start on the same day, be reading through that plan. It actually goes through the whole book of Galatians, and it'll be a blessing to you. Well, I feel qualified. Hopefully, you'll pull out those notes out of your bulletin. There are some sermon notes there with some scriptures on it, and it's going to help you follow along. And at the top, I finally have a message. I feel qualified to preach. If you notice this quote, I love these uh, men who've studied God's word a lot longer than I have, and... But at the very top is a quote that I really love. It says, however poor of a preacher I may be, I can preach the good news of Jesus better than the angel Gabriel can. Because Gabriel Gabriel cannot say what I can say. I am a sinner saved by grace. Hallelujah. I feel qualified to preach this message. Uh, Start by an illustration, a story actually in 1884. Evelyn, an innocent young girl. Only 15 years old was given in marriage to an older man, Clyde. Clyde never knew how to love her. He wasn't an evil man, but being demanding was the only thing he understood. Uh, He prepared a list for Evelyn to follow. Uh, He insisted that she obey it to the letter. Among other things, his do's and don'ts uh, detailed such items as when she should get up in the morning when his breakfast should be served, how the housework was to be done. Ladies, how are you liking this list so far? Is it going over well with you? Just just reading it, I could just feel the temperature rising in the room. Um, Evelyn hadn't grown up in a happy home, so she really didn't know uh, much better. So she tried to please Clyde faithfully and joylessly, I might add. Uh, she often felt that She didn't do a good enough job. And even though Clyde didn't complain often, she felt like a failure. That was just her overall feeling in her marriage, that she was a failure. Well, after several long years, Clyde passed away. And as time passed, Evelyn fell in love with another man, John, who dearly loved her. And soon they were married. Now, John did everything he could uh, to make her happy, continually showing his appreciation. One day, as Evelyn was cleaning the house, she... Found tucked away in a drawer the list of commands that Clyde had drawn up for her. And as she looked it over, it, uh, it dawned on her that even though John hadn't given her any list, she was doing everything Clyde had required. Now, it wasn't every day, and it certainly wasn't in order for sure, but it was all getting done, plus much more. And now she had a joyful energy about her day. And she was happy. Now, that really is um, one of uh, the goals of this series. We actually have a, a vision at Life Church. Our vision is to see your life transformed. We've proven that if we're going to unpack this community, it's going to be by your life being transformed. And the, the statement that we've uh, thought, we really spent some time thinking through this, because what is a transformed life? There's so many things. But the phrase we came up with, because I think it fits it best, is a transformed life has gone from being drained by this world... And if you don't have a proper relationship with God, even though you may be serving Him, it'll end up draining you to being energized by God. And hopefully you feel like this is the relationship you have with God. This is the, that loving relationship where you are, you are receiving His grace. You feel like He looks upon you with grace, His forgiveness, His grace. And, But even as I throw that word in there, forgiveness, that's usually about what we think of as grace. Grace is just a pair of glasses that God wears, and he sees us through grace grace glasses. Well, grace is a lot more than that, and hopefully we will learn that uh, through this series. So I'm going to start with a a scripture story. Uh, Many of you, hopefully, you know this story. You've heard it before uh, out of the Gospel of Luke. True story, that there was a funeral procession Coming out of a village uh, called Nain, N-A-I-N, Nain, a funeral procession. A a mother was burying her only son. She was a widow, the Bible says, and she was burying her only son. So obviously this was, uh, I mean, any funeral procession is sad, but this one was overly traumatic. And the Bible says, interestingly enough, that the whole village was going with them. Uh, A great crowd of followers, and they're walking with her, they're weeping. I mean, they can remember a few years earlier burying her husband, and now she's all alone. Well, she's all alone except for God. The Bible just paints this amazing picture. Jesus sees this. The Bible says his heart goes out to her, and his first words to her are, don't cry. And I honestly believe that any of us, if we see the grace of God, if we see his heart as it is, I think those would be some of his first words to all of us because we all have temptations to cry on occasion. And his his first words to her, don't cry. And he goes up and he just puts his hand on the coffin. And they stop. And just what an amazing scene. He's just standing there. I mean, do you suppose every eye is on him? Now the rest of this middle part of my story didn't actually happen, but let's just pretend, just for the for, just for the understanding. Grace, let me throw in this middle part: that while Jesus is standing there, hand on the coffin, everybody's stopped, all eyes on him. There's three other individuals in the audience that want to take their crack at helping this guy before Jesus does. All right, and the first one is the college professor. The college professor comes to the front of the audience and says, "Gang." I want to show you the real truth that education is really where it's at. Education is all we need. If people expand their minds, all the problems of the world will be solved with education. He went on and explained and explained. um, Now, by the way, all three things that I'm listing are actually good things, things that I hope that you'll take advantage of. But they are things that are going to fall short of bringing you the life that you have always wanted. Uh, uh, Anybody ever attend college? Did did you find it to solve all of your problems? Did you come out of there with clarity, peace, and joy, and and just world peace prevailed? Or did you attend Phi (laughs) Tapakega and didn't really obtain world peace? Now, again, I'm not insulting education, but if, it's, if, you, if we honestly believe, and there are people that really do, that if we could just educate all the minds, that would solve all the problems. But we have a heart problem that goes deeper than the mind. So the first individual failed. Education has failed. Again, it hasn't failed to educate minds. It is educated to produce the life that you want. Even after you're educated, you still know in your gut that something's missing, and you know it. So after he's failed, the next guy comes up. He says, "Ah, I knew, I knew education would fail. You need a lot more than that. The next guy that comes up is a motivational speaker. And again, I think we need more of all these. I mean, 20 years ago, I probably would have insulted a motivational speaker. Like, who needs those? I'll tell you, I have never listened to a motivational speaker that hasn't helped me. I can honestly say that. So I think we need more of them, not less. But are they going to ultimately give you everything you need? The motivational speaker stands up. Comes up to the front and says, gang, what we really need, and what this man needs, is willpower. If he can just make up his mind and exert his will, make a choice, man. And he gets the crowd going with his motivational speaking. And at the end of his speech, what is the result? Willpower has failed. Um, Anybody make any amazing resolutions last year on January one?" And if it's just willpower, I mean, willpower has its place, and you need to exert your willpower. You need to exert your willpower over a lot of dark things in this world, but it's going to fail at producing that joyful life that God has called you to. Well, the last guy steps up, and everybody kind of quiets down when he steps up, because this is a man of God. This is a pastor. He comes to the phrase, Pastor Brian. So, of course, everybody's like, oh, our problems are over. Pastor Brian's here, but Pastor Brian doesn't have the right sermon dialed up and he steps up and says, you know what? What this man needs is obedience to the Bible. That's right. If this man will just obey the Bible, his problems are over. So Pastor Brian steps up and he gets this man signed up for the the New Year Bible reading plan. He pulls his phone out of that coffin and gets him signed up for the Bible app and the YouVersion reading plan. He teaches the man how to pray. He, get, he gives the man a good long list of Bible disciplines. And at the end of the day, how successful is Pastor Brian at helping this individual out? Religion is going to fail. If that's all you have, it's, if, if, if it's all about you, and quite honestly, it is easy to even make your church attendance more just about you it's just about what you are doing it's it's how i'm going to impress god how i'm going to please him and it's subtle how that gets shifted worship is so even our church attendance even every good thing we do is supposed to come out of a loving relationship with him but it's really easy to flip that around and all of a sudden i'm leading he's following and i'm pursuing him and he responds to me that's that's not how it works that is not how it works Well, is there anybody else to help the guy out? You guys remember the story? Back to Jesus. Now, this middle part did not happen. I wasn't there, okay? That didn't happen. I think you know that. But Jesus, what does Jesus do? Does Jesus give the guy a lecture? Does Jesus give the crowd a motivational speech? No, he says just a couple of words. He says, young man, arise. Young man, get up. Just get up. Get up. And... And he just sat up in that coffin. Can you imagine? Could you imagine being there that day? Okay, I, believe, I believe every word of the Bible. I believe everything that Jesus did. I believe he's still working miracles. But can you imagine being there? This young man gets up. I mean, again, the only son of this widowed woman. He gets out. They obviously set it down. He gets out. And they, you know, he gets back with mom. And Could you imagine? Jesus raises the dead. And that's really the point. Only grace. We're going to hopefully help you help to explain why I started with that. But grace, that story actually, the story of Jesus actually illustrates grace more than it does Jesus's resurrecting power. It illustrates Grace. Jesus came into this world to bring a new covenant with God, a new way of relating to God, and it was, he came to bring the grace of God to us, and it's grace that raises us up. Look in your notes there, that next, um, the scripture under that is Ephesians, and just jump down to, in the middle of it, I'm going to jump down to verse 8. Let's start in verse 8, and then we'll back up to verse 1, because verse 8 is where we're pretty comfortable. This is what we've heard before by grace, you are saved through faith. We've all heard that before, right? Look at verse 8. God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for that. It's the gift of God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. All right, stop there. Now, this is the grace teaching that if you've ever heard about grace before, you're somewhat familiar with. That's right. By grace, we're saved. I get it, Pastor Brian. But usually we don't start in the right spot. We think of grace as something that helps us. But we don't start in the right spot. Now, go back to verse 1. And by the way, just let's do this right now. Just in your notes there, because this is what we're comfortable with. And this is what we understand of grace. Let's fill these out right now. Number four on your notes is that acronym for grace, G-R-A-C-E. Write this down. God's riches at Christ's expense. What we just read out of Ephesians explains that well. And I, you know what? That actually is a really, really good definition and understanding of amazing grace. It really is. Now, it's more than that. And the next one is this, God's unmerited favor. God's unmerited favor. I get his favor even though I don't deserve it. Both of them excellent ways of helping you to understand what grace is and will fill your soul if you really understand that I get God's riches and Jesus paid for it. I don't pay for it, Jesus paid for it. But now let's go to verse 1. And you'll see why they fall a little bit short of what we really need to understand of grace. Verse 1 now of Ephesians there. And this is the way this passage starts. Once you were dead. Now, this is spiritually speaking. Now, it's not very often that we read scriptures like this because, and hey, if you come out at 8 o'clock in weather like this, you must want to be here. So you're going to get a little theology this morning. It's not often enough that I get to dig into what really are more theological passages. And by that, I mean you're really just kind of understanding something from God's perspective. And the reason those deeper theological passages don't get discussed a lot in church is because it is challenging to relate them to everyday life. It's, it's just like, okay, how does that connect with me? Okay, once I was dead spiritually. How, that's kind of hard to relate to, right? You're sitting here like, okay, all right. I don't remember being dead. Um, it can be, well, let's, let's see if we can bring it into our world today. So let's finish the verses here. Number one, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, skip over not, not a verse four, but God is so rich in mercy. Are you glad your dad is rich? He's rich in mercy. I'm glad he is loaded. And he loved us so much that even though we were dead, there's the second time, you were dead because of your sins. He gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by grace you have been saved. See, grace actually is a picture there of raising you from the dead. And in case we didn't, he says it again, verse six. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ. Three times in a row, he wants us to get it. That if you have the picture and if you're seeing correctly, grace didn't just help you out a little bit, grace raised you from the dead spiritually speaking, God is saying that your potential of living a pleasing life before him, your potential of acting in a way that that would have saved you, acting in a way that would have brought God's favor is the same potential that guy in the casket head of getting up. Nobody looks at somebody in a casket and thinks, why aren't they doing something? Why aren't they doing something to better their situation? You don't think that. Well, spiritually speaking, that's what grace is. From God's perspective, you were dead. No hope. Your your potential to to start pleasing God was absolutely zero. Your potential of being good enough was absolutely zero. We are utterly and completely dependent upon the work of God. And man, is that important to see. Because when you see it for what it is, that God didn't just help me out a little bit. And here's the way to understand this. This is a big if. If you're here and Jesus Christ is real to you, you know for a fact that he is alive. He, he did what he said he did. He accomplished that work on the cross. He took your sin and he is alive today and he is seated at the right hand of God. Now that's not real to everybody in the world, but if that's real to you, you're a hundred percent convinced of that. You have been raised from the dead. There's only one possible way that you're positive of that God raised you from the dead. He brought you into a new kingdom. He took you from death to life. And the very fact that that's real to you is proof positive that you have been raised from the dead. Spiritually, God took you from nothing. And he gave you life. He breathed life into you. That's salvation from God's perspective. is him breathing life to us. And how that should apply is if we see it for what it is, that should produce a shocking amount of dependence. Will you say the word? Say Dependence. The first test of grace, of am I living by grace, or do I understand grace? Am I living by grace? The first test of it is are you dependent on God? I pray a lot. I even read the Bible every day. But it's not to impress him. I am dependent. I know for a fact he, he raised me from the dead. I know for a fact that every good thing comes from him. I, I recog- that leaves me in a spot of recognizing how needy I am of him. I started without being able to help myself, and I still need his grace just as much today. It produces, it should produce dependence in your life. Now, the second thing that it produces, and we're going to go on with that scripture, but really the story that that I just told kind of illustrates the second part because uh, raising the dead is only the first problem that grace fixes. Grace fixes a whole lot more problems than that and go back to that story of that man that Jesus raised up. You know, from that, that young man being taken out. You know, Jesus raised him from the dead in front of the whole village. Gives him back to his mother. Just imagine. Now, that's a picture of grace. Now, what do you suppose? Well, just imagine that that man, the guy that Jesus raised from the dead, hears, I mean, the next, that same day, he hears that there are layoffs down at work, and he's probably going to be laid off. Do you think he go? Is, is, it, is it logical for him to go into a panic? Like, oh my gosh. Layoffs. The sky is falling. The, the, the world is, is coming to an end. How am I going to make it? it does, it's not sh- really logical for him to fear. What, what is pretty logical when God just did something that shockingly dramatic to raise you from the dead you probably, at least for a while, have a certain sense of, you know, I don't think he would have gone to all that work and not had a plan. Yeah, yeah, that that isn't really logical that he wanted to raise me up to bring me back to my mother to help her out, but he forgot about the layoffs, and he has no plan, and everything's going to fall apart from here. What if that guy hears that there's other danger? There's there's, uh, some sickness going around, and Somebody may have died from it. Or there's, there's bears coming down from the woods. Is it logical for this guy that day to think, oh my goodness, bears coming down from the woods. I'll probably die today. One of those bears will probably get me. Probably. Is that, that wouldn't be logical, would it? See, when you understand grace, that it raises you from the dead, the logical next step is, He's probably got a plan. It's not logical he's going to go to that extreme to raise me from the dead with Christ and then forget about everything else. It's not logical he raises me from the dead, but oh, he forgot about the bears. Oh, the bears. I can't handle the bears, Jesus says. (laughs) No, that's not the way it works. Grace solves problems. Not, not always the way that we'd like it to. But let's look at this uh, next verse in your notes there. Actually, I think it's under number three. The, the, the scripture says, this is the Apostle Paul saying this, that three times I pleaded with the Lord to take... By the way, number three, if you haven't already filled it in, only grace solves the problem. It solves the problem. The first problem it solved was your spiritual death. And every other problem in your life, there's a grace to solve it. Every other problem. Did I say every? I want to make sure I said every. Every other problem in your life, there's a grace of God to solve it. Now, here's the thing. It usually doesn't solve it in the way that we like it. By the way, I just realized I do not have a watch on. So if I go for like two hours, somebody just start flagging me down, right? All right. Here's Paul talking about a problem that he had. And uh, three times he says, now in the verse below there, three times Paul said, I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. I remember reading that years ago when I was a young whippersnapper and I think, Paul, man, catch a clue. You know, come on, Paul. Why didn't Paul just realize what God wanted to do? Three times you had to keep. And then I realized, I mean, as you, as you mature, you realize, oh my gosh, I've done that a million times. I've had problems that I've, I've taught Paul many times over. I've, I've asked God to take it away a hundred times. But three times he had a problem. Now, the Bible doesn't list. He never tells us exactly what the problem was. Uh, Theologians will tell you that that's on purpose. I think that's true. I think it's on purpose because God wants us to all to be able to relate to this. Because this is universal. You're going to have problems that he doesn't fix the way you want him to fix it. He didn't take it away. He didn't take the problem away. He didn't fix it. But, verse 9, he didn't say no. Here was was Christ's answer to him. I'm not going to take your problem away, but... My grace is sufficient for you. Would you you repeat that phrase with me? Say, My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. If you don't understand grace, what you just heard is Jesus say a long way of saying no. That's kind of what it sounds like. If you don't understand grace, you think Jesus just said, No, I'm just going to let you suffer. That's not what he said. He said, My grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. I'm going to fill this. What Jesus is actually saying is, I'm not going to solve this exactly the way you want it, but actually the end result is actually going to be better. The end result will be better with this problem there. If I leave it in the mix, something's going, something else is going to happen. It's going to cause you, it's going to, it's, this again is going to be a trigger back to dependence. You're going to depend on me. And this is true. Every human being, every honest human being, well, every human being has them, but every honest human being knows what they are, has some form of what I would call a handicap. Something where you're just, and you've prayed probably more than three times, Jesus, take it away. Take it away. Fix that. Fix it, Lord. Let's finish reading the the scripture. Jesus said to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast All the more gladly about my weakness. Paul, the end result was Paul boasting about his weaknesses because he realized then that Christ's power rested on me. Christ did come through. He still had the problem, but Christ came through in some other way that was obvious it was God. Verse 10, that is why for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses and insults, hardships, persecutions, difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. Let's read, read that last phrase together. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. Together now. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. There will be, not everything, but there will be certain, carefully selected weaknesses that God leaves in your repertoire. And some of you, some of you are having a really hard time to think of it. You're like, I have none, Pastor Brian. I am awesome on all fronts. What could you possibly be referring to? Well, I don't know what it is. I do know some of mine. I, do know, I, I don't tell this because the, this is not the point of the sermon. The point of the sermon isn't Brian's handicap. But I do want to share a little bit of this just to illustrate it because it has proved on the back end to be what he promised. Now again, without going into amazing detail, I have a handicap in my leadership. I've, I, before I understood this, I prayed many more times than three to take it away but i have a certain there's just something and it's it's obvious to me now looking back after you see it it's obvious to me now that god is not going to allow me to solve problems on my own every i'm talking about for the for the church and what's frustrating it doesn't function that way so much in my personal life i can see the beginning to the end and how to handle everything but in the church world and there are churches just like every group i mean there there are Mountains you need to climb. There are hills you need to take. You need to advance. You need to do different things at different times. Now, I'll get ideas. I'll see. I'll, I'll, I'll always see an amazing beginning of the road. But it's, and I can, it's almost physical sometimes. I can feel it just settling over me as I'm getting down in, into that plan. I'll get halfway into it, and, and I can almost feel it physically just settle over me. It's like I've just hit a wall, and I can't see past it. Well, here's what I've proven. Now, it was really, really shockingly frustrating, and I prayed many more than three times. Lord, take it away. I have other pastor friends that they don't have that problem. They, get, they go from start to finish and get her done. Take it away, Jesus. It was really painful. And I finally started praying about that. Lord, what are, you, what are we going to do? And after a long time, it's, it's embarrassing how long it takes you to figure out some of these things, isn't it? After a long time, I finally realized that, and he just helped me to see, Brian, you're going to need people. Now, everybody, every leader needs people around them. That's, that's, that's universal. But mine is different. I need people in a whole different way than most leaders need people. I'm going to need, I need people, and it's not always the same person. It's, I can't make math out of it. I can't, okay, for any problem, I just go to this person. No, it's, it's different. It, it keeps me dependent because I never know who it's going to be. And I have to. I literally have to humble myself to engage others. No, it's it's primarily the same few people, you know, the, the staff that God adds, but then the, the church has a, a board. And I look to those board members. I serve on other church boards, and we meet once a year, because that's all they feel they need. Uh, not only does our board meet a little bit more often than that, but I talk to them more often than that, because, not because I'm, Trying to impress them. I'm not, if they, if, when they see my number come up, they know Brian's not calling to impress me. <laughs> He's called to ask some questions. But it's amazing how, when in the company of God's people, how better answers result. That's just one example of God's grace being sufficient. Grace solves problems. Again, the first problem that grace solves, anybody remember what the first problem was? The biggest problem by far is you were dead spiritually. And follow logic. The God who raised you from the dead did not abandon ship. He has a plan. Don't worry about the bears coming out of the woods. Don't worry about the layoffs. Don't worry. Every problem, every problem that you ever have, and this is really the second test of grace, is if you understand grace, you are not going to be discouraged. You're not. You'll be discouraged for a while. When that problem hits you and you're praying for God to take it away, you'll be discouraged for a while until you start going to God and realize, wait a minute, there's a grace for this. There's a Something better is going to come out of this. If you've prayed again and again and again and it hasn't changed, there's a grace for this. And when you realize that, you go to God and you find his grace is sufficient. It's going to help you solve those problems in ways that you never dreamed. Would you bow your head and and close your eyes with me? I just want to pray with you and for you. And I just wonder if there's anybody in here and you would be saying this. You'd say, you know what? I don't think I'm dependent enough on God's grace. That's really the, the bottom line of where I'm trying to get with this message. If you see it for what it is, if you understand grace for what it is, you wouldn't have to work at being dependent. We wouldn't have to coach you into a a reading plan or, or developing a prayer life. That dependence would be automatic. That loving dependence, that loving looking to your Father, almost every moment of every day would be very, very natural. If you're here, and as we begin 2018, I can't think of a better way to begin a new year with a fresh revelation of how dependent on his grace, that this year I'm gonna depend on God's grace every day. I'm gonna look every day. If you look every day, you'll never be disappointed. If that's you, nobody's looking around, but if that's you and you, you'd say, I have not been dependent enough on God's grace. Nobody's looking around, but just raise your hand right there where you're seated. And say, man, that's me. That's me. Father, I just wanna pray in the name of Jesus for every one of us, every hand that is lifted. God, in Jesus' name. Reveal your grace to us, your grace that is sufficient, your grace that is sufficient for every problem that we face. God, fill us with your amazing grace. Open our eyes. You have solutions to problems that we may have prayed over a million times. Help us to see, Lord, what you want to do. We trust you for your grace. We pray that in Jesus' name. Everybody says, amen. Let's stand up together. A great way to express your dependence you know, really, that's the reason that we sing and we worship. We even lift up our hearts and our hands. God, we need to express our dependence. As we sing this song, Lord Jesus, the wonderful name of Jesus, Lord, it's you who raises us, and we are dependent on you, and we express that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.
2: You are the word of the beginning, one with. You hear it